feisty, fearless, and fair, telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. So what is wrong with a lot of these people, even on social media, who are talking about the colonialism of England today and how terrible anybody who was a part of England? I mean, this is crazy. The passing of Queen Elizabeth is, I just think, an enormous loss. And whenever I hear these people who are out there on social media and elsewhere and they're it's like the same people who are toppling the statues. It's like the same people who are like, you know, knocking down uh, and saying we got to get rid of the name Jefferson High School, you know, because Thomas Jefferson at one point uh, had slaves. You know, I mean, clearly, yes, he did have slaves, but he's a part of our history And if you look at the history of England and especially the history of this incredible woman, and I'm talking about Queen Elizabeth II, uh, she lived a remarkable life. And so tonight here on the Rita Cosby Show, I want to hear your thoughts about all of that, about some of these like spoiled young kids around the country, around the world, who I hope take example from her life. Because there she was, a young woman in her teens, and she was part of the female auxiliary corps. She was actually fixing cars. And I've heard these amazing stories of even as recently as a few years ago, if a car broke down and she was like going from Buckingham Palace to, you know, one of their other locations and the vehicle broke down, she'd look under the hood because she knew how to drive. She was a mechanic. And that was because she very much wanted to serve her country. And that's what she did for more than 70 incredible years. And so as a woman, I have always tremendously looked up to her. I've always looked up to Margaret Thatcher. I mean, these two incredible women, these are like, you know, remarkable. will go down, I think, as two of the greatest women ever in world history. And... All these people that are like, oh, complaining about this. Well, there was one thing that happened here with British, and there was one thing that happened. Look, we know what happened with the British in our country. But yet, America and England were the closest of allies. I mean, they've always been the most steadfast of allies ever. I mean, there's always been this incredible, unshakable bond ever since what started, of course, at the beginning. But since that time, we always have looked at the history of England and appreciated very much the tradition. And I've always looked at her class. I mean, you look at her. She embodied grace. She embodied elegance. She was certainly a smart woman. And I think some of the other lessons we can get from Queen Elizabeth, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too, because I think of her as someone who is a decent human being, who always cared about public service over oneself. Her whole life epitomized it. And epitomize giving back. And I think that, like, decorum and decency, and even if she didn't agree with the person, she still was kind to them and respectful to them. She never really got in any of these crazy scandals that Lord knows Andrew and a whole bunch of others have gotten into of years of late. And so that's a remarkable quality at a time right now where you think about in our country how divided we are in America 
And to look at her remarkable life, I think, can be an inspiration to so many people. She met, by the way, every single U.S. president since Eisenhower, except for LBJ. She didn't meet him, but she did meet President Trump. Um, And we're going to play that in just a second because we got an action-packed show here tonight. We've got great people who you may be familiar with who've been in the presence of Her Highness. Uh, We're going to have Peter King, Congressman Peter King, former congressman of New York, who met with the Queen. He also met with Charles. He also met with Harry. And he's going to be joining us in just a few minutes to talk about that. And then later on in the hour, we're also going to talk to Rudy Giuliani, who received an honorary knighthood from the Queen after 9-11. How cool is that? So both of them will be joining us here on the show And you definitely want to stay tuned for that. Peter's going to be with us in a minute or two. Rudy Giuliani joining us at 1035 to talk about what it was like to basically be knighted by the Queen. And we're also going to talk about the DOJ now appealing the special master decision by the judge. What does it all mean? And what does the Queen's life mean to you? What do you think are the lessons from her? And what do you think of these spoiled brats who are sitting there complaining about British colonialism today, blaming like her and blaming Britain for colonialism today. Can't you just appreciate this incredible woman's life and what she's done and this remarkable, remarkable woman in history? Well, as I mentioned, she met so many U.S. presidents, including President Trump. Here's a little bit when President Trump went to Buckingham Palace. Mr. President, I'm delighted to welcome you and Mrs. Trump to Buckingham Palace this evening, just 12 months after our first meeting at Windsor. Visits by American presidents always remind us of the close and long-standing friendship between the United Kingdom and the United States. And I'm so glad that we have another opportunity to demonstrate the immense importance that both our countries attach to our relationship. And here she is doing her toast to Trump. Ladies and gentlemen, I invite you all to rise and drink a toast to President and Mrs. Trump, to the continued friendship between our two nations, and to the health, prosperity, and happiness of the people of the United States. Very beautiful. And now here is Trump toasting back to her. In April 1945, newspapers featured a picture of the Queen Mother visiting the woman's branch of the Army, watching a young woman repair a military truck engine. That young mechanic was the future Queen, a great, great woman. Her Majesty inspired her compatriots in that fight to support the troops defend her homeland and defeat the enemy at all costs. And joining us now to talk about the passing of Queen Elizabeth II is former New York Congressman Peter King, who had the great honor of meeting her. Uh, Congressman King, first of all, what was your reaction to the sad news today? It really is the passing of an era. I mean, uh, Queen Elizabeth was a, uh, a world-respected leader, uh, she uh, really set the standard for world leaders. Uh, she basically preserved the monarchy in, in Britain, and uh, she was a true friend of the United States. 
and she always had class and dignity. And you're right, I did have the opportunity to meet her at the British Embassy. It was actually a fairly small reception. And uh, she was going, shaking hands. We were told all the protocol that you couldn't. Actually, uh, we were told she was going to go around, but we could not shake hands with her. That was the whole thing, that uh, only she could decide if somebody could shake her hand, and you had to call her this, you call that, and all you had to do. And so she was walking by, and next thing you know, she's putting her hand out and shaking hands, and protocol went out the window. It was just so, uh, and she was so, again, friendly, uh, conversational. Uh, it was, uh, uh, I guess, must have spoken to her. I was expecting, I guess, a 10-second you know, grip and grin or a quick handshake, and that would be it. No, she was uh, talking. She asked me about Ireland. She asked, uh, uh, asked me about the you know, United States. It was just, again, it was small talk, but it was more than she, ever, than she had to do. It was really, uh, it was genuinely friendly. My wife, Rosemary, was with me. And uh, it was something that we'll always remember. And I was, I'm an Irish guy. I'm not supposed to like the British that much, but I can tell you that she also, <laughs> besides being a close friend of the United States, when the Irish peace process, when the Good Friday Agreement was signed, she went out of her way to show her support for both the Catholics and the Protestants in the north of Ireland, the south of Ireland. She visited Dublin the first time that a British uh, leader had visited Dublin, a British monarch had visited Dublin in over 100 years. And then she also met with people uh, in Northern Ireland who would have been considered enemies of the British years ago. And that was her way of reaching out to show that the fighting was over and that she stood for peace. And that took a lot, of, a lot of courage because there have been very hard times in Northern Ireland. And, uh, no, Queen Elizabeth, and again, she just had a certain dignity about her. And she's definitely going to be missed on the uh, world scene. Yeah, for sure. And you talk about that visit. You're right. She was uh, the first British monarch uh, to visit uh, the Republic of Ireland. I mean, that was a huge deal. She's also met with, as you know, uh, every U.S. president uh, since Eisenhower, except um, Lyndon Johnson, which was interesting. But I want to hear about the relationship to U.S., how important um, was she in really keeping that incredible relationship between America and Britain? I think about her. I think about Thatcher. I mean, two uh, iconic women. Yeah, she was very, very essential to it because she, first of all, she was a symbol. Uh, and you start with that. But much more than a symbol, she had personal relationships with a number of our presidents. Uh, she was someone that we could count on. Uh, and just by all her, if you want to call it body language or her mood or tone, she made it clear that a visit to the United States was more than just an ordinary visit, that she was almost feeling at home. And whenever an American president visited her in England, uh, again, she went out of her way to show that this was more than just the usual meeting with another uh, world leader, that these were special meetings. So she really, in many ways, personified you know, the special relationship. And as someone, I mean, she basically grew up during World War II. Uh, she was active during World War II as far as uh, volunteering, uh, doing you know, work with the armed forces there. And then, of course, uh, she was in, in London when it was being bombed. And uh, so she went through all of that. And then her, the first prime minister she dealt with was Winston Churchill, who was obviously the British hero of World War II. So she's been through it all with Churchill, Eisenhower. I mean, names of many people today, it's like ancient history to them. But she lived it with him. She, she was, again, she was... Uh, uh, Queen when uh, Churchill was still a prime minister, the first American president. When she met Harry Truman, but then she uh, before before she was queen. But the first president she met when she, after she became queen was uh, Dwight Eisenhower, who was the supreme commander of the uh, armed forces in World War II. So then she went all through the Cold War. She went through the, against the war against terrorism. Everything. I mean, every crisis of the last seventy years 
uh, that the United States was involved in, uh, Queen Elizabeth was there for us. And uh, even if it was uh, during Vietnam, where she may not have agreed with all of our policies, I don't know if she did or not, but she never let that interfere with her uh, friendship and uh, a feeling of strength with the United States. So, no, she was very essential, both in a symbolic way and in a real way, in furthering and advancing and preserving the special relationship between Great Britain and the United States. Well, in my next life, I want to be Peter King, because not only did you meet the Queen, you also met now the King, um, Charles. You met him, of course, Prince Charles, what, 2011? Tell us, how do you think he's going to do in this new incredible role that he's going to be thrust into? I think, uh, I was going to say Prince Charles, King Charles is underrated. Yeah, I met him, it was actually just several days after bin Laden was, was killed, and there was a reception at the British Embassy, and he was there. Uh, and he obviously mentioned about, you know, the uh, killing of bin Laden, but it was also just a week or two after the uh, marriage of William and Kate. And my main memory of it is, is that, uh, again, he had a drink in his hand. He was walking around talking. Uh, it was uh, a very relaxed type, but only not that many people there. And suddenly he, my wife, Rosemary, started talking about different aspects of the wedding. And I'm saying, oh, my God, we're here with the person who could be the next king of England. And we're talking about his daughter's wedding. I, was, I mean, his son's wedding. It was really... Uh, Again, he was very gracious, very friendly. And I, I, listen, he's, he's been around. I don't know, again, what all his views are going to be. But, again, he has a very good uh, a relationship with the United States. And he is smart. He, he gets a bad rap in that way. And, uh, uh, but I, I, think, I think he's going to definitely measure up. And he will uh, hopefully, and I'm, I'm confident, you know, will be a leader in the tradition of his mother, even though there can never be another Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, there's no replacing when you think about she was one of those living legends. I mean, there's few people out there that you kind of pinch yourself. Uh, Did you pinch yourself after you left her? And now to think, obviously, um, she was truly one of those most iconic women, I think, of of history ever. Well, what I was really glad was I found out that somebody had taken a picture because otherwise I figured, you know, people like Peter Cosby wouldn't believe me. They think I was making (laughs) up a story. I actually met Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, that picture was taken by somebody from a distance. I had no idea was being taken and when it appeared i thought well okay now people are going to believe me i can show them i actually met you know, met the queen so it was uh, no she was uh, uh when she was there you know you knew you were standing with someone who's not ordinary somebody who uh, she had an ordinary charm and that she could deal with everybody but at the same time she rose above it all and she was just uh, terrific i mean great representative for the country i think just before that she'd been out the kentucky derby as i recall so she was very interested in talking about that because she is a lover of horses How beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing just one of those most beautiful moments in your life, obviously, uh, with all of us here on the Rita Cosby Show. We love you, Pete King. It's so great to have you here, Congressman. Thank you, Rita. You're the best. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Wow. Lucky Peter King. How neat to have him here to talk about his meetings with Queen Elizabeth and also with uh, King Charles. It's going to be official tomorrow, but isn't that amazing? Uh, when we come back, everybody, we're going to take your calls. What do you think of the royal family? Because there's going to be 10 days of pomp and circumstance. Uh, then there will be, of course, a funeral uh, that probably the world, at least in modern times, has never seen. A lot of people are equating this to just how many people came out uh, during JFK. Uh, think about how many people she touched their lives. 15 different prime ministers, including the new one, of course, they're the new female one who she just met with just a few days ago, earlier this week. So the world will be turning out for this funeral. 
you can just imagine this is going to be a sight to behold. What are your thoughts about her passing? What do you think the legacy is? And what do you think the message is for America? Is there something we can learn from her incredible life? Um, I like the story, and, and Trump just recounted it here in the clip we played, and I talked about it earlier, of her being a mechanic. She was in the Women's Auxiliary. And this is a woman who saw the Blitz that happened in England. This is the woman who saw the Nazis be fought. This is the woman who saw uh, communism, the Cold War, uh, 9-11. And in fact, one of the most beautiful stories I think about that I've heard today is right after 9-11, and I remember this, she had the band right in front of Buckingham Palace um, singing, you know, playing uh, patriotic American songs to show Britain's support for America after 9-11. And what a powerful message that is, of course, as we are heading into an anniversary of 9-11 this weekend. What are your thoughts about her? What are your thoughts about all the messages you're hearing today and the fact that this woman, I think, no doubt lived an extraordinary, extraordinary life? And I think a lot of these Young people out there that complain about, oh, God, I got to work, you know, eight-hour days or I got to work six-hour days. This woman worked tirelessly for 70 years for her country in a very selfless way. And I think that there's a great message that can come from all of that. 1-800-848-9222. The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. running the show are dedicating this to me because we had a 100-year anniversary of WABC, of course, our awesome flagship station here in New York City. And last night we had a celebration of 100 great years of this historic station. And I was the dancing queen last night. I was out there on the dance floor having a great old time. And I bet had I met the queen, we would have been dancing together. That's one of my bucket lists, just to have met the Queen. And coming up, you just heard from Peter King, who had the honor to meet Queen Elizabeth. And coming up in about six, seven, eight minutes or so, we are going to have Rudy Giuliani, who also met with the Queen. And he even received an honorary knighthood. Think about that, how amazing that is for his role in the wake of the September 11th attacks, bringing healing and comfort, not just to New York, but across the world. And we're going to be talking with him shortly about that. Wow, 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 wow. And in the meantime, I want to hear your thoughts about the Queen's life and the message behind it and the legacy uh, that she leaves behind. Let's go to Elena online too. Elena, how are you? What do you think of the Queen? I was so sad to hear she passed. Well, my condolences to the whole royal family and to the British people. But, hi, Rita, I have to tell you, I have the utmost respect for the Queen. 
not only as a monarch, but also as a leader. She set such an example, and when they say it's an era bygone, no, I think it's a perfect example to start from now until tomorrow and after tomorrow and forever. No, you're right. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? But you bring up a great point because you're right. She is such a timeless example, Elena. Um, And I think for men and women, I mean, just of strength, think of what she, she's a survivor. And talk about working. I mean, look, she was 96 years old. She was with the new prime minister just uh, two days ago and apparently was energetic and spunky and still working, like literally working up until the moment she died. I mean, it's an incredible role model. And talk about someone who made a difference. Rudy Giuliani, when we come back. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. The Rita Cosby Show presents Back the Blue. And in tonight's Back the Blue segment here on the Rita Cosby Show, a beautiful tribute to an officer in Green River, Wyoming, who was honored for his heroic efforts, and he was recognized by the city there. Green River Police Department officer Kyle Desseler received the Emergency Medical Service Award from the chief of the Green River Police Department, and he explains it was just a few minutes after midnight when he got a call of a man lying unresponsive on the floor. He observed that the man was not breathing when he got to the location, and he discovered unknown pills in the mouth of the male. Prescription bottles for morphine and oxycodone were located nearby. So what he did was he began to give CPR. He did a lot of emergency treatments. And then he finally was able to hurry up and get EMS on the scene. But his very quick intervention saved the life of the man who undoubtedly would have died without medical assistance. And in fact, as it turned out, the man was taking prescription medications, but did not take them appropriately. So ended up having an accidental overdose and was so thankful as soon as he recovered, he met the officer and said he could not believe how kind he was and was so grateful that he had saved his life. What a beautiful story and what an important story about the work that our law enforcement do every single day day. Well, speaking about the great work that our law enforcement and our leaders do every day, uh, when I think about as we're heading into the anniversary of 9-11, which of course is going to be this weekend, the very somber uh, anniversary of 9-11 again on Sunday, I always think of Rudy Giuliani. And of course, you guys know I love Rudy Giuliani, the former mayor of New York, the greatest mayor of New York City ever. And he really helped to bring the country together, the city together of New York after 9-11. And so much so, he got so much attention around the world, including from Queen Elizabeth II. And there are some incredible stories about Rudy's visit there when he went to meet with the Queen. And we figured who better than to share those stories with us right now than Rudy himself and uh, Rudy, I'm so glad you're here on the show. How are you? I'm very good, reader, and I'm always happy to be with you. And Rudy, we love you, and the country loves you. And and I think about oh, that incredible moment. Oh, after nine eleven, what it was like, and and the world was just showing its support and its outpouring, um, you know, for you and for New York and for America. And 
So you end up getting invited by Queen Elizabeth. Tell us about this moment, Rudy. Well, I mean, I'll tell you about how it started. I, I had uh, many, many world leaders came to see Ground Zero, so I was not, I was not surprised that um, a number of people, a number of the political leaders. I mean, uh, Tony Blair came uh, several times. They even had a service at St. Thomas Church for the many, many English citizens who died on September 11. I attended that service with Prime Minister Blair. But at one point, the prime minister's office called and said that Prince Andrew wanted to come and visit me. And I assumed that was for a, a tour of, of ground zero. And um, he came and we had breakfast first. And during breakfast in my office, we became we, we, we had several other people there. We just began talking about he's a very big advocate, a lover of golf. I love golf. And then he noticed on my on my desk, I think it was a duck, and, it, and the duck <laughs> had been on the Sopranos, and the duck uh, made noises. You could you could touch it, and it would go quack 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 quack. And he went over to it, and he said, "Do you know Mummy has one of these?" And I said, <laughs> you, "I said you mean the Queen of England." You know, it was unusual to have someone refer to the Queen of England as mummy. Right. <laughs> but you mean you mean the Queen of England, your mother? He said, "Oh yes, of course." I, you know, I sometimes I forget. I refer to her as mummy, and I said, "Well, I'm going to tell you something very funny. My mummy has one of those too, <laughs> because I bought her one because she enjoyed it so much when she saw it on The Sopranos. I went and I got her one." And I thought it would be fun to get a second one because everything gets so serious here. Whenever I have a dumb or serious meeting, I take it out and I make everybody laugh by going quack, 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 quack. And I thought that was just so funny that his mother was such a real person. That is funny. Then he said to me, he said to me, she wants to offer you uh, a a night. uh, uh, Well, he, he began by saying, a knight of the Royal Empire, knight commander of the Royal Empire. I said, oh, my goodness, you mean, <laughs> like with the sword? <laughs> and he said, yes, yes, except I do have to warn you of one thing. If you go through the whole ceremony, I said, oh, yeah, I would love that. He said, you will lose your citizenship. I said, well, no, thank you. <laughs> You're <laughs> like, no, I like being an American. Thank you. <laughs> I, I kind of like it. He said, yeah, I know. And Ronald Reagan, he mentioned some other Americans. You, you receive an honorary. You can use the same title after your name, but you just can't call yourself sir. And I said, that's right. Our Constitution prohibits it. Look, I think many people probably forget the United States Constitution prohibits Americans from using titles. We can't be barons. We can't be sirs. We, we can't use uh, titles of nobility. So I went there. I brought a large group of people, including my uh, my uncle, who was uh, my oldest was was my oldest li- living relative and a three times decorated police officer and twice decorated uh, sailor, uh, fought in the Second World War. And when I went up. 
to be knighted by her. She, of course, said my name, and I thanked her for, for the honor. I told her I didn't deserve it because it really belonged to the people of the city of New York. She said, Mayor Giuliani, you're being modest. It had a lot to do with you. Of course, your people have to follow you, but your, your leadership was extraordinary, and we appreciate it for our own citizens, many of whom died there, and for the world. And I said, my goodness, thank you very, very, very much. And then, and then she said to me, I'm giving awards also to your police commissioner and fire commissioner. Could you tell me a little about them? So she wanted to know some personal things about them. And then when it was over, she said to me, how, how is your mother, Andrew, told me about the duck? Oh, that's <laughs> funny. So what did you say? I said, I, my mother, number one, still loves it. And is my mother, my mother, I say, I said, since the time I was a child, is a great, uh, is a monarchist. I mean, she, lo- she loves English history. She was a teacher, and she loves English history. And I probably learned English history contemporaneous with American history. How and amazing. Mother, and now I'm going to tell you something very, very uh, it's funny. I'm funny, interesting. My mother died uh, 20 years ago. Uh, today. Wow. For the same day, the same day as Queen Elizabeth, uh, the, the, the second, who she, of, of all the people I knew in my circle, loved the queen more than anyone and knew everything about her, as well as she knew everything about English history. I mean, you, you could pick a year like 1641 and she would tell you what was happening in England in 1641. Wow. And she was Italian. And she was Italian. I don't know. I don't know Italian background. She was born in America. But yeah. something about English history, and I think it had something to do with my being a lawyer, too, because she said, you know, really, our legal system is a, is a, uh, uh, a complete copy, our own version of the English legal system. Wow. How be- By the way, how beautiful. And, you know, I... I- you know, I'm a faithful person, and I think about your mother and Queen Elizabeth and the story you just talked about, the ducks, Rudy. I mean, that's really beautiful. Uh, what was it What was that's it like to meet woman. the What was it like to meet the Queen? What was she like, it just was, it was, charming? I, you, I mean, it was, it was a little, I have to say, I mean, I, you know, by the time I met the Queen, I'd, I'd met uh, four presidents, worked for one, wrote speeches for one, uh, I met Gorbachev and you name it, uh, Putin, uh, probably a hundred world leaders without, without exaggeration. I had been third ranking official of the justice department, mayor of New York. I was nervous meeting her. I wasn't nervous meeting Putin. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, I kind of looked forward to it. I mean, I had dealt with so many murderers. I wanted to see what he was like. Right, you wanted to look uh, him in the eye, but her. Yeah, what, no, what, was it, I mean, what was it about her that made you nervous, Rudy? She, her place in history. She, I mean, she, she. I mean, I, I now I'm I'm a hero worshiper of Winston Churchill, and I knew that he was her mentor. Yep. Oh, she did mention that also. She said, well, "Our people are very thankful for your having mentioned Winston Churchill." as an inspiration for you during your difficult days, your first difficult days. 
And you even mentioned the biography you were reading. It, it really uh, bound our people to you that you looked, you looked on Winston. She said, you know, he was my mentor. And I said, uh, your highness, I do know that. Yes. Wow. That, that was another thing she said. She was a very, very genuine person. You know, when you meet political figures, and I'm one too, and I have to, I say, I would say I've been guilty of this. People give you a few facts to remember about somebody that you're, you're going to meet. I'm sure they did that with her, but she didn't make you feel that way. She made you feel like she really knew you. Wow. I mean, I, yeah, I really had this impression that she and Andrew sat down and they were laughing about that the mummy ducks. joke. Yeah, the ducks, the ducks. And there's so many, like, famous stories of her, like, kidding around with Ronald Reagan. So I that she used to like laugh about jokes afterwards of after they went horseback riding. So she definitely seems genuine. And I bet that she got a kick out of it. Like, Oh my gosh, you know, and, and clearly had watched you during nine 11 and felt this connection. What a privilege. Rudy. What a privilege. It seemed, it seemed, it seemed much more than, you know, that, that just a briefing that morning. Now it could have been, it could have been just a briefing that morning and she was just excellent at conveying that which, of course, is also a talent, and it shows you care about people because obviously you can't know everybody, but it is nice even if you take the time to learn a few facts about them before you meet them. But you got the feeling with her that it was deeper than that, that she really likes people. And I really got the feeling, and I'm sure this is why Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump both loved her, you could sense she loved America. That's beautiful. You could, sense it. you could sense that she had this idea of a special relationship between the United States and America. It was, it was in her blood. And look, it had to be right. She grew up during the Second World War. Exactly. And when you came, hear the stories, who, it's amazing of her. With there and, who, who came there and saved England? And, and let's think of this. What other country would do that? What other country would send its youth to die across the ocean to free other countries that it just lets remain free, ask for nothing in return. What other country would do that? I don't think in the history of the world there's another country that would do that. And uh, unlike uh, uh, many of the discontents we have in the United States, she understood that about us. Yeah, it's beautiful. Rudy, before I let you go, um, and we're talking to Rudy Giuliani about his meeting um, and getting the honorary knighthood, I love this, from the Queen. I'm going to be calling you Sir Rudy, not Mayor oh, Rudy. I used, to say, I, I used to say nobody can call me Sir because they won't let me back in Brooklyn. <laughs> they better. I was born there. They got to let you back. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll try to pull some strings for you, Rudy. Before I let you go, my friend, it is the anniversary, of course, coming up of 9-11. Oh. And I just want to just real quick, your thoughts, because I know as it comes, you think of that day, but also, what's the message about where we are right now in terms of the world? I I feel, I think I feel worse this September 11. Uh, not so much because of September 11, but because of I had thought that September 11. One of the great things about it was it brought us together as a nation and uh, showed how strong we are and how we can be together no matter what our differences are. And I'm now at a point where I don't know if September 11 happened again. If we could, the the divisions are fundamental now. The divisions in 2001 
were higher taxes, lower taxes. What do we do about schools? They weren't about should George Washington statue remain or should we uh, should we teach critical race theory in schools and teach that all white people are systemic races, as uh, our president says. The president says we're systemic racists, which which means that we're all race. I don't know if he knows what it means, but a, a systemic problem is a problem that adheres in the entire organization. If I say that the New York City Police Department is systemically corrupt, as it was before the NAP Commission, I mean it is almost all corrupt. Uh, he, I mean, we have fundamental hatreds that are being uh, – and the last speech given by the president had to be the most frightening speech I've ever seen given by an American president. It's the closest thing to a speech given by a dictator uh, that I've ever seen from an American president, including the background of it. So do you worry, Rudy, that we couldn't be – as unified as we were after that moment. I think about President Bush standing, you know, on the rubble saying, you know, uh, you know, those who brought down these towers, they're going to hear from us soon. And the whole country was cheering. You, you don't feel we'd ever feel that again. I don't know. I, I wish we could. I wish we could. And if the if the enemy were neutral enough, that might be the case. But I don't trust Biden's response to China. I just have a real difficulty with him standing up from, for us when his family got $31 million from China. It would be as if Ronald Reagan was the president and, and Russia had given him $31 million. I mean, it leaves, and then he, then he does strange things like he gives up Air Force bases that, we're, that are critical to our defense 400 miles from China. You know, it's interesting, Rudy, you bring up, um, because I think about... Um Right after 9-11, George W. Bush, there was no doubt that he was going to, you know, let uh, anybody harboring or helping or, you know, tied to bin Laden, uh, that they would be paying a dear, dear price. Um, you know, when he, yeah, when I mean, he met, I, we're yeah. going in, it was clear we were going in. And you're right. I don't know if we would feel that decisiveness from this president. Decisiveness. My goodness, I wonder if he would get out of the basement. I mean, uh certainly wouldn't be. I remember John Kerry in the debate against George Bush, a debate everyone thought he had won, but I knew he had lost because he said if there were an attack on the United States, he would first check with our allies to determine what our response should be. That's right. I remember that moment. And I said, I said, he's, we're going to kill him with that. Rem- I, I told, uh, I was interviewed by Mike Wallace and Mike Wallace very sarcastically said, how are you going to spin this one and say your boy won the debate? Because he apparently thought Bush did very poorly in the debate. And I said, Mike, my boy not only won the debate, he won the election with that stupid remark by Kerry. Kerry just told you that he's not going to go to Congress. <laughs> he's not going to go to the cabinet. He's going to go to foreign leaders to t- tell us what to do. Right. He's seeking their approval. That's a whole other message. I think America wants a president when we get attacked. There's no doubt about what we're going to do. He doesn't have to spend an awful lot of time talking to an awful lot of people. (laughs) The entire military of the United States is organized to do the maximum that has to be done to make sure this never happens again.
1,000%. And then he tells the rest of the world what we're going to do. After all, America is the leader of the world. And I know uh, people like Soros and hate that, and they undercut that, and they're trying to destroy America and make us just one of many nations. But that'll not work. Uh, I mean, you, you, you know that there's no vacuum going to be left. China will take over. One thousand percent. One thousand. Rudy, I love you. I love you. And we're always so grateful to have you here on the show. We're coming up against a hard break here. But I just want to say to you, thank you for, again, your incredible service during Um, 9-11. And I will be calling you. you, I'll be calling you Sir Rudy, if that's okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, thank you. And I got an awful lot of help. Bernie Carrick and Tom Von Essen, and I can go on and on. Oh, two great guys, too, as well. Yeah. And, of course, we yeah. think of Tom yeah. and uh, all the time, and I love Bernie. You know that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Rudy. Okay. You're the best. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sir Rudy Giuliani, I love that. When we come back, everybody, we're going to take your calls. 1-800-848-9222. The Rita Cosby Show. What a powerful story that we just heard from Rudy Giuliani meeting the queen uh, who thanked him and honored him and the people of New York and America for our courage after 9-11. And by the way, as we all know, 9-11, it's the day that changed our lives forever. And New York's news talk leader will never forget. The Red Apple Audio Network joins the great Tunnels to Towers Foundation For special days of tribute tomorrow, September 9th, and also Sunday, September 11th, Tunnels to Towers Foundation 9-11 Remembrance, remembering 9-11 21 years later on the Red Apple Audio Network. And be sure, everybody, to tune in for that beautiful and powerful coverage. Let's go to your calls, everybody. A 1-800-848-9222, 9222. Uh, let's go to Brian in Pennsylvania. Uh, Brian, we're talking about the Queen and, uh, and Rudy's meeting and uh, all these. I'm jealous, all these people who got to meet the Queen. I never met her. <laughs> yes, Rita. My husband and I love your show. And if there's anyone who deserved a knighthood from Her Majesty the Queen, it would certainly be Sir Giuliani. I wanted to share my personal story with you. Um, my father served in World War II. And he was stationed in London. And we grew up with stories of the buzz bombs and the kindness of of the English people. And when my father died in 2010, in my grief, for some reason, I decided to write a letter to the Queen, Her Majesty the Queen. And Rita, she responded to my letter. Oh! Oh my and, goodness. What did she say, Brian? Real quick. What did she say? Well, she I told her about what my, my father did and how we respected England and um you and know actually, I was, do I me was a sort favor. of grief stricken hey, and she Brian, Brian, do me a favor. Brian, hold me. hold on a second, Brian, okay? We're gonna continue after the break and talk more about this. I wanna hear you describe more of it. This is beautiful. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. I know your name is Rita. I'm just a perfume smelling sweet. Since when I saw 
coming up on the Rita Cosby Show later on in this hour, we are going to be talking about the fact that the Department of Justice has filed its intent to appeal the decision on the special master. So for me, this is unbelievable. Why is the Department of Justice fighting so hard against a special master? A special master in the Trump case is basically the decision by the judge granting a third party, an independent person, to be able to look at the documents that were seized in the raid to be able to say, okay, well, these are executive privilege, uh, these may be attorney-client privilege, these may be his medical records, as we know they got some of that, these are tax documents, why the heck did they get that, Um, to be able to basically be oversight for the DOJ. And my feeling is, if the Department of Justice has nothing to hide, they should welcome the fact that an independent party comes in because two things happen. One, first off, it gives credence to the DOJ because there's a lot of people in America that are looking at that raid that took place at Mar-a-Lago and saying, wow, it sure looks sweeping. It sure looks like a fishing expedition. It sure looks like it was just one big old search to try to get documents, anything about President Trump and just kind of like a vacuum cleaner and sucking it all in and deciding, okay, well, what are we going to keep? What are we going to hand over to other investigators? And that raid warrant seems awfully broad from what we've seen, what they've taken. We know that they took a lot of stuff, and apparently there are reports that it's like less than 1% was potentially classified documents. And, of course, the president says he declassified. But if you look at all of this stuff just on the surface, it would give the DOJ basically a stamp of approval if they had a third party that was overseeing them to say, yeah, what they did was above board or that we agreed to these documents that they agreed to as well uh, that they'll be looking at for their investigation. It would actually help the DOJ. And I think the American public would have more confidence in the investigation. And, of course, on the, the other part of it is it gives President Trump at least a fair third party to be looking at the documents. Every American citizen deserves that right. Every single American citizen and a former president of the United States, you sure as heck better believe, deserves that. That is imperative. That is justice in America. And the fact that the DOJ is fighting so hard, they just signed a notice asking immediately for a stay by this judge in granting the special master. There was supposed to be a a meeting on Friday with some details, with names submitted of who could be special masters. Um, Both sides are supposed to, you know, sort of talk about it, come to some agreement, what would be the parameters, all that stuff. And yet what they did in the last few hours was the Department of Justice did a filing and they said, we would like a stay because we intend to appeal. We will definitely take this to the circuit court in Atlanta, which, by the way, is kind of interesting, because if you look at the circuit court in Atlanta, there's a lot of Trump appointed judges on there. So this stay, they may be better off if they get a stay and just kind of drag that out before they do the appeal, because they're probably looking at the 11th Circuit and going, you know what, if it goes before the 11th Circuit, it may get shot down again. 
And then maybe they end up ultimately, who knows, even potentially going up to the Supreme Court. But that could be a long time away. But that's what I think their strategy is to kind of like boggle it down, maybe in the stay. Maybe the judge might grant the stay, which means that they could continue looking at the documents. They could continue as they are while she reviews her decision. And that gives them at least a few more days, a few more weeks, maybe a few more months to keep looking at those documents. Otherwise, they would have to be full stop based on her granting a special master. So this is really interesting, this strategy that they're trying to do. In other words, we need a little more time to look at the documents, kind of help us out. It's going to be fascinating to see what the judge does. But my feeling is you have to be fair to the former president of the United States. The fact that they are in such a rush to push through what it looks like Almost, it looks like, you know, a speedy investigation, a speedy raid, and maybe potentially a speedy indictment. Um, Hold off a second. The former president of the United States deserves justice and deserves fairness. And then you listen to, like, this guy, Andrew Weissman, a former lawman. Here he is on MSNBC, and he's mocking the judge. Take a listen to what he said. It's a really strong brief. I think this is a much stronger brief, but in some ways you can't fault the Department of Justice because it was hard to know just how sort of nutty and off the wall her decision was going to be. But this is a very, very strong brief saying, how can somebody like Donald Trump have any any interest in any possessory interest in classified documents? He can't. They belong by definition to the government, not to a private citizen. And those communications don't raise attorney-client privilege because, by definition, classified documents are not communications between Donald Trump and his lawyers. So it can't raise those issues. So it's a very, very strong brief asking her to carve that out. You know what? Although the judge pretty quickly said, guess what? There have been clearly leaks. Uh, clearly questionable documents already have been separated by this taint team that should not have been separated. Um, A couple documents that you think uh, belong to you, DOJ, now uh, don't belong to you. They should be actually given back to the president, basically. So I'll be surprised. This judge may say, you know what, Andrew Weissman and DOJ, sorry, we're moving forward. So let's see where she goes with it. That is going to be fascinating. I'm going to be taking your calls on that later on in the hour here on the Rita Cosby Show. What do you think is going to happen now? And what do you make of this strategy by the DOJ? And why are they so desperate to hasten this process and to continue quickly looking at those documents? It's like, let's hurry up and get this done uh, because we've got a timetable that we want to keep going. Well, guess what? Justice needs to be fair. It doesn't need to be on a certain timetable just to fit the DOJ schedule. So far, it looks like one big, broad fishing expedition on so many levels. And I hope that the judge in this case actually says, let's put the brakes on it. This is what I said. And let's proceed with it. And let's continue. Put a halt on it. That seems to be, I think, the fair thing. And I think not only clearly for President Trump, but I think the American public would have much more faith in the process. And we are also talking, of course, at the other big news that happened today, and that is the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, 96 years old. And what a remarkable life that she lived. 
And here is reaction from the new prime minister who just met with the queen two days ago. And this is what Liz Truce has to say about this new uh, this new news that I think has really shook the world today. Even though 96 years old, that's a great life. And think about what she lived and what she experienced and uh, all the presidents and world leaders that she met. But still, it is still just great sadness, I think, around the globe. Take a listen. The death of Her Majesty the Queen is a huge shock to the nation and to the world. Queen Elizabeth II was the rock on which modern Britain was built. Our country has grown and flourished under her reign. Britain is the great country it is today because of her. And then the new prime minister also talked about the role that the queen played in the world and in, of course, Great Britain. Through thick and thin, Queen Elizabeth II provided us with the stability and the strength that we needed. She was the very spirit of Great Britain, and that spirit will endure. And she is beloved around the globe and also epitomized the incredible relationship between America and Great Britain. Uh, She understood it, as we were just talking about with Rudy Giuliani, that they even talked about it, just how much of that kinship and that relationship and that appreciation and fight for freedom. And this is what Mitch McConnell had to say today when he learned about the news. The Queen is an exemplar of steady leadership and a beloved figure around the world. She's been a historic friend of the United States. The decades of her reign have seen a profound deepening of the special relationship between our two countries that has literally changed the world. Absolutely changed the world. And let's go back to Brian from Pennsylvania. Um, Brian, sorry we had a heartbreak there, but I want to have you. I just want to, for people who are just tuning in, you wrote a letter after your dad passed, right? And talked about his service, right? So take us from there. What happened, Brian? Yeah, in in 2010. And so I wrote the letter. um, You know, I was grieving. And the reason was, my dad never talked about his service. And when I found his his records, I was really surprised at what he participated in in London. And so that's why I wrote The Queen. And I explained um, a little bit about his service. And I explained how we we uh, grew up hearing wonderful stories about the kindness of the British people during World War II and his stories like, you know, they would pull soldiers into their houses when the buzz bombs came over as a form of shelter for them. And I didn't really expect anything to happen. But lo and behold, a letter came back from Her Majesty the Queen. And it was through one of her lady in waitings at I believe that the house is called Sandum, Soundheim. It's one of the estates that she goes to. And however, it was obvious that Her Majesty read the letter because she she thanked me for the letter. She she um gave her condolences for the death of my father. And it was just such a kind letter that I was overwhelmed by it and um i signed it uh your most humble servant because in the protocol of 
writing to the queen. That's how you're supposed to sign off. So I hope the administration doesn't accuse me of colluding with the monarchy. But um, <laughs> now, she, what, what was she your was re- wonderful? What was your reaction, Brian? Given the news today, sadly, um, because you had this well, obviously this this beautiful uh, you know correspondence yeah. with her. Well, you know, my she was the world's queen. She was in a way, our queen, and I mean that generation of World War II. My parents were married the year that she was uh, the coronation, the, the year of the coronation. In my rose garden, I have the Queen Elizabeth Rose Grandiflora, which was a whole new um, uh, type of rose that her, that rose was the first rose. And, you know, my my husband's mother was in high school and she kept a scrapbook of the queen's marriage and um coronation and we looked at that today and to to tell you the the most poignant story i went out in our rose garden and i cut a single rose a queen elizabeth rose and when i brought it in i looked in it and there was a tear in the rose. Now, isn't that weird? Oh. And I found out, I found out at one thirty-five in the afternoon. So it wasn't due because, you know, it had evaporated. And I just took that as, I know it sounds corny, but I, I took it as her legacy. She was the most kind woman I think uh, we, we can look at. She, as a young girl, she gave a radio address in which she dedicated her life to the service yes. of her British subjects. And, and by the way, and that- you're right, in that address, because she was a young girl and talked about how she would spend her life um, being yeah. of service and appreciating of service. And, um, and she was a teenager at that time. Um, Brian, how beautiful. Thank you for sharing that story with us. What a beautiful, amazing story. And, um, you know, I think about as you were talking about the Rose story right after um, she had passed, there was like a rain shower that came through over Buckingham Palace and uh, the skies lit up and you could see the pictures all over the world uh, when this happened. Um, a double rainbow happened right over Buckingham Palace right after she had passed away. And, uh, you know, same sort of moment. You know, she was such a, a transformative, incredible figure. And how lucky are you to have gotten a letter from her. I'm so glad you shared that story. That's a beautiful story. Thank you so much, Brian. Uh, let's go to Michael real quick. Michael, your thoughts. Lita, she was a dignified woman, and I know she would act, advocate a series of books to be placed in any high school or public library, regardless of whether it was a former colony, or the United States. The books are Winston Churchill's six-volume set in hardcover and paperback of the Second World War. And, of course, by the way, she also looked up to, you know, Winston Churchill so much. That was like her, her you know, idol in so many ways. And that was also Rudy was talking with her. In fact, when we had Rudy Giuliani on uh, just a few minutes ago, he was talking about how he was sharing that with her. So you are spot on, Michael. You are spot on. Let's go to Rick. Uh, line four. Rick, uh, real quick, your thoughts, Rick. Real quick, believe, Rick. I can't believe you bumped me for Rudy Giuliani. He's not even a real sir. <laughs> He's an honorary <laughs> sir. 
But I'll go I'll go to Sir Rick instead real quick. Go ahead. Just one quick note. There's a picture online of Prince Charles with George Soros and George Soros is either reprimanding him or giving him marching orders. And he's poking him in the chest with his index finger. Yeah, you know what he's saying? Uh, he's saying, you know, I gave all this money to Alvin Bragg and George Gascon, and, and I'm really trying to mess up America. That's what he's saying. <laughs> Rick, thank you. But, you know, it's interesting because I'm not surprised that George Soros probably met Prince Charles. He probably met the Queen, too, I would think. Um, you know, on so many levels, he probably has met a lot of these officials. Uh, and boy, has he done a lot of damage with these DAs across the country. Everybody, when we come back, we are going to talk about the DOJ now saying it will appeal a special master. Why are they afraid of an independent party looking over the documents? What do they have to hide? If they didn't do anything wrong with the raid, why are they worried about it? one 800 The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And as expected, the Department of Justice filed their motion for a stay signaling that they will be appealing Judge Eileen Cannon's decision that just happened a few days ago where she granted a special master, an independent party, to oversee what documents were seized in the raid of Mar-a-Lago. I think it's the right move, 1,000%, that there is an independent party to look over it. And yet, the Department of Justice seems intent on going after President Trump, it seems like tooth and nail, no matter what. Take a listen. This is former disgraced lawman Andrew Weissman uh, talking on MSNBC, and he thinks the appeal by the Department of Justice is is like basically uh, gold bricks. Take a listen. One thing that's quite interesting here is this really puts it to the Trump team. Are they going to claim in a court of law that these documents were declassified? Uh, by the president, the former president, when he was president. Because one answer to this is for them to say, what are you talking about? There are no classified documents. They might bear classified markings, but those were all declassified. I bet you that he doesn't do that because he's not going to want to have that tested in a court of law. And, of course, there are criminal penalties for lying to a federal judge. Well, that's really giving the president the benefit of the doubt. I thought, you know, you're basically innocent until convicted guilty, but not with this guy. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Dave on line one from Pennsylvania. Go ahead, Dave. Hi, Rita. Thanks for my call. You know, it should be no wonder that the DOJ is doing what they're doing. Uh, the DOJ, the FBI, the IRS, are all political operatives for the Democratic Party at the highest levels. So, you know, I mean, that would make political hay out of Donald Trump if he sneezed the wrong way. So, I mean, it's just par for the course, and it's just getting sickening to see them draw this up to go despite anything. And so it seems so predictable at this point. Yeah, and by the way, you know what they also said in their filing, Dave, is to your point, they also said that this would basically delay our investigation. And my first thought is, Delay your investigation. 
You know what? You should be also thinking of fairness to all sides. It shouldn't be like, gosh, we got to hurry up and do what? Are, what? Are, what are they going to get? Like a ten thousand dollar bonus or something like that? Uh, it should be the investigation is done thoroughly. It's done appropriately. It's done respectfully. Not. It's going to slow us down. How dare they? The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. The Rita Cosby Show presents Support Our Heroes. And in tonight's Support Our Heroes segment, which I love doing every night here on the Rita Cosby Show, where we honor our great members of the military and their families. This is a great story from Knoxville, Tennessee, beautiful Knoxville, Tennessee. One of the oldest naval aviator captains in the country is going to be a special guest of the air show this weekend. The U.S. Navy Blue Angels will be hosting Jack Gilhooley and his brother in their private tent for the event. Now, Jack served through the Second World War and said some of his favorite memories were made in the sky. He said, I spent a lot of time at sea, and in fact, they even called me an old sea dog at first. And he has seen a lot in his 101 years, uh, about to turn, by the way, 102. Uh, He said at first he served on a cruiser during World War II, and he said we were dive-bombed, and we were hit three times. I was wounded, but thankfully escaped alive. He said... The last time that day, I made a decision that if I was going to stay in the Navy, I was not going to be going down here on the ship. I was going to be the guy in the sky doing the bombing. So he became a naval aviator. And he said after becoming that, he never took a flight that he didn't have a crucifix in his hand as he prayed. He said, quote, I would be flying the plane holding on to my crucifix. And how beautiful that at 101, soon to be 102, Jack will be honored with the Blue Angels. How beautiful. The great Blue Angels uh, this weekend in Knoxville, Tennessee. Thank you so much for your service and everybody in the U.S. military and, of course, all their great family members out there. We love you. We appreciate you. And thank you for all you've done for our country's freedom. And by the way, I want to let you know that I am also proudly supporting the Tunnels to Towers 5K walk run in New York City again this year. It is on Sunday, September 25th. And everybody, I need your help. Help us to remember those lives that were lost on 9-11, of course, the anniversary this Sunday. And during this walk run, we will be retracing FDNY firefighter Stephen Siller's final footsteps, and we're going to do it together. It's simple to support my team this year in the Tunnels to Towers 5K Walk Run. All you have to do is go to walk.ritacosbyonline.com, walk.ritacosbyonline.com. Donate to my team. I am trying to raise as much money as possible here on the Red Apple Audio Network because all of the proceeds go to the great Tunnels to Towers Foundation. Thank you, everybody, for your support, because together we can make a difference and support America's heroes. It's one of the largest walk runs in the country, and I'm always so proud uh, to be able to do anything I can to help this great organization. And you know so much about it. You see the commercials all the time. Be sure to do whatever you can. Tunnels to Towers Foundation. Go to walk.com. RitaCosbyOnline.com and donate today 
and honor our great American heroes. Well, we are talking about justice in America. And justice, I think, means a special master overseeing the documents that were seized during the Mar-a-Lago raid. And we just heard in the last few hours, I'm not surprised by this, because the DOJ, the Department of Justice, signaled that they might be doing an appeal almost immediately. As soon as the judge, Eileen Cannon, came out and said that she was going to grant the Trump team's request for a special master, she said it's only fair. She said it's important that Americans have, you know, respect and appreciation and understand the process um, and that they feel that they can have confidence in the process. It's not like every day where you're going after a former president and raiding a former president's home. She thinks it's the essence of fairness. She also signified and brought out the point that there have been some leads, some leaks, rather. There's been a lot of leaks of late. And in fact, it's like every single day. The Department of Justice is like drip, 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 drip. They're doing tons of leaks to liberal media organizations. Yet they're saying to Eileen Cannon, no, there shouldn't be a special master. We have you should have total faith in us. We know what we're doing. There's no politics involved. We know what we're doing. And, you know, there shouldn't be any leaks of national security material. And yet. They are leaking to the liberal media every single day. Documents that they say were seized or taken. We've heard that from day one ever since the raid. So to me, it's like, are you kidding me that they would actually say that in a filing? That, oh, no, no, no. We have to protect the sanctity. There can't be any leaks. We can't have somebody else looking at the documents. You get an impartial person, even somebody who has national security clearance to look at it, Um, It could be somebody within the intelligence community. It could be a retired judge who maybe has security clearances. You're not going to get the kind of leaks that we've been seeing from DOJ ever since this raid occurred. I think it is audacious and outrageous that they would actually go out there and say, oh, there shouldn't be, you know, anything out of this investigation. It could hurt the investigation. And then at the same time, they're also saying we're in a fast track right now, basically. And if you put a pause on this, You know, it's going to hurt the speed of our investigation. What about the rights of somebody whose home was raided? Somebody who was the former president of the United States. Donald Trump deserves rights. He deserves justice. And he doesn't deserve, like, suddenly to have his investigation ramrodded just because it works on their timetable. What, are they trying to get something before the midterms so they can maybe have some more political points? It makes me think even more that this is about politics. It is disgusting. And even Bill Barr, of course, the former attorney general who worked for President Trump, who hasn't been a big fan of President Trump's. Yes, you know, they had a falling out at the end and Trump has been taking lots of barbs at him. And he hasn't been even about the raid and everything. He's been not very supportive of Trump or whatever. But even Bill Barr made this statement basically saying that he doesn't think it's a good idea for a full-scale, like, rapid investigation and a full-scale, like, rapid indictment of a former president of the United States. Take a listen to what he said. But I think at the end of the day, there's another question is, do you indict a former president? What will that do to the country? What kind of precedent will that set? Will the people really understand that this is not, you know, failing to return a library book, that this was serious? And so you have to worry about those things. And I hope that those kinds of factors will incline the administration not to indict him, because I don't want to see him indicted Mm -hmm. as a former president. 
That's very interesting. I don't want to see him indicted as a former president. And coming from a guy who's not exactly been a Trump fan of late, 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Stan on line eight. Stan, your thoughts about this? Cry me a river. Oh, man, give me a break. By the way, how many people did you dance with at the party last night? I heard news. You were all dancing and having a good time. Stan, you sound like a jealous phone caller. <laughs> I heard you were all over the dance floor. I was. Who's talking, Dominic or, or who? I got to find out. I'm gonna, I heard you were all over. Yeah, I, I'm actually, jealous. I did have a great time, my I'm friend. Glad, Thank glad, you. Anyway, let's get back to the real, let's get back to the real dancing. Okay. Anyway. The verbal dancing, right? The verbal okay. dancing. All right. Uh, first of all, I think the verdict was fair or correct. Uh, no, excuse me, not correct. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I'm glad they're appealing. That said, they would appeal. Absolutely. But if there has to be a master, I think it should be only no judges, no senators, former CIA directors are the only ones that can do this. I think technically you mentioned intelligence. It has to be someone very and it has to be a former CIA director. One I think day. that's a great point actually. No, I, I, think. I think that's the only one or or maybe a member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff or the the head of the Joint Chiefs. Other than that, uh I, I you would not pick the FBI director. I know you wouldn't do that. But the CIA, former CIA directors there's at least 3 or 4 or 5 around and I think they could pick out maybe one or two that both sides would uh, uh, accept, and uh, or even three, and let them go through it. Give them carte blanche, and and of course, then they'll say this and that and this. They know what's secret. They know what's top secret. They know what shouldn't be released, and they know what to throw out and give back to uh, Donnie Dummy. But well, other than well, that, right. now, hey, now hang on. Let me just ask you because. President Donald Trump is a former president. You just heard Bill Barr stand saying that he doesn't want to see a former president indicted. And for some reason, the DO, the Department of Justice just seems like they want to hurry up. They, they said in their filing that any delay really like, you know, it would delay their investigation. And, and my response, you heard what I just said. Justice should be whatever time it takes not to fit some political timetable. I I mean, to me, what is the harm with an independent party looking at it? That is fair. It's fair if you, if the investigation was Stan or if it's Donald Trump, whoever it's of. That's the fair thing, especially given the climate right now, Stan, and some of the allegations. First of all, you cut, you didn't put in, you only did the end of what he said. Most of what he said was, this guy, all he had no business having any of this stuff, and it's extremely serious. And his point is, I think he's guilty of what it is, but he should not be indicted because what it would mean to the country as an ex-president. I got news for you. I don't care what it means. Anybody who does this, and if it's against the law, president, no president, senator, emperor, he should be brought to justice if they feel that there is enough evidence. And that's the key. If there is enough evidence... They definitely should indict him. So Mr. Barr likes to play both sides. He says, we need to, you know, it's been terrible what the president did, but uh, what will it mean to the country? Hey, if the country can't take, uh, we took Richard Nixon, we took impeachments, we could take this as well. Well, you're, I will agree with you on the flipping and flopping a bar because you're right. He is like yeah, flipping and flopping. He you is flipping. No, I did. I I did not leave it out. Oh, I yes, have, you, oh you no, Stan. Stan, I actually prefaced it saying that he has not been a fan of the president of late. He's been like slamming the president. 
But he said at the end, just correctly, as I just said, that he still does not feel because it's a president of the United. And this has been someone who's a staunch critic. Um, but but Stan, I'm glad that you're jealous of me dancing with somebody else. All right. Uh, I'll be seeing you. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Let's go to Will on line two. Uh, Will, your thoughts about Stan things full steam ahead. I disagree, but go ahead. Good day. Uh, good evening, uh, Rita. I uh, I think that this is just a, a scam. I just think that they are just trying to find whatever they can in, in, within the you know the few months of the midterms. They just I don't understand why they're just hating this guy so bad. I mean, you know, look what we're going through. Because he's you know? a threat, Bill. Oh, don't you think so? Well, he is a threat, and if you look at some of the polls, but, he is the guy that they really are worried about is going to, you know, it could be a uh, Trump-Biden matchup again. And I think anything Trump, anything, they see the stadiums that are packed when he does his rallies. He's just done the recent rally, you know, as we saw in Pennsylvania. It was packed. And, you know, Biden's getting like, you know, two neighbors and a dog, you know, who's coming out, you know, and he's lucky if the dog comes, you know. And, you know, so it's they're seeing that they are worried and they will clearly do anything. And and because of all this stuff with this Timothy Tebow. Now, Tebow says through his attorney, no, no, there's all these allegations are wrong. But it's interesting, the coincidence, if you will, of the timing then, that all these people are talking about the politics at the FBI and that their allegations that this guy was part of this investigation and this investigation against Trump. And, oh, lo and behold, he's part of this investigation. I mean, it really reeks of politics, don't you think, Will? Regarding the, the, the hard drive and uh, Hillary Clinton's emails, I mean, why? I don't understand. Yeah, she gets a free pass. You are exactly right, Will. She gets a big old free pass, but it's like anything Trump, let's go after him. The double standard is disgusting. Let's go to Pete in New Hampshire. Line four, Pete, your thoughts. Yeah, hi, Rita. Love you, love your show. Thank you, my friend. You know, they've thrown everything but the bar sink at but the empty bar sink at Trump, and now this is coming. And you know something? This is all about the midterm of twenty twenty four. Everybody knows it. It doesn't take take much intelligence to be able to read what's going on down there. The biggest problem in our country is we send these politicians to Washington. They get voted in. They end up down in Washington and they fall into the the the, the you know, vat and they start drinking the special Kool Aid. And most of these people are are nothing but uh, uh, attorneys, career attorneys, looking looking uh, down there to try to make a name for themselves and grab money and power. And that's what, that's what this whole thing is centered around. As far as what Stan said about they need a they need to get uh, a group of former CIA. Uh, 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 individuals around. You know, people need to remember that John Brennan, uh, uh, John Brennan, and James Clapper were are are they are announced themselves as communists, full fledged members of the Communist Party. And by the Does way, that- they and they hate Trump. Now, now the one thing, Pete, um, what would happen? Um, it would have to be somebody that both sides would agree to. And I can promise you that if, like, the name Brennan or Clapper came up, there would be just one big laugh from the Trump side, you know, because to exactly to your point, because those guys are like, I think they even signed on to that letter. Uh, I'm not sure if I remember if they were part of the 51. Remember, there was that group of, like, 51 
you know, um, security experts and law enforcement experts who signed on about the Russia hoax and everything saying that, you know, that this looks like it's a serious security threat. Remember, like, you know, right away they were like, were, couldn't wait to, like, throw Trump under the bus when there was no evidence and that phony FISA warrant and that old stuff. Um, so I think that their names would get laughed at and thrown out in two seconds. But but to me, it's outrageous that DOJ is fighting tooth and nail and trying to get, you know, uh, let's hurry up and fast track this. We got a clock. We got to keep going. Like, what is the clock? Is the clock November 8th? And they want to do anything they can to, like, discredit him? I mean, I, it, to me, it looks more and more political every single day. What do you think, Pete? Yeah, well, yes, Rita. And, you know, the other thing is, you look at the all the failures they've made, the Mueller investigation, and look at all the taxpayer dollars that have been, that been peed away, flushed down the toilet, with what, the money that they've spent. Those are our tax dollars that they've spent millions upon millions of dollars. You know, just just like the Ukraine, all that money that's gone to the Ukraine, Rita, guess what? They can only account for 30 percent of that money. So where the hell, Rita, is the other 70 percent? Well, and one of the things I contend, Pete, and and I'm obviously deeply opposed to Russia invading Ukraine. And I've said that before. My father's Polish. So to me, but I contend that if President Trump was in office. I don't think Russia would have invaded Ukraine. And I think many Americans believe that if you look at the polls. Um, and, and I actually think that more people should be talking about that, too. Because as we're talking about all the money going all over the place, and I do think they should have a monitor to make sure that the money is going correctly to the people that need it uh, to fight for their survival. I absolutely think it should be checked to make sure it's absolutely going there and getting into the hands of the right folks. Um, but I will also say that to me, um, you know, I think we would have saved billions of dollars if you had somebody like President Trump. He would have said, Putin, don't you dare go in there. And I think Putin would have been worried what Trump would have done in response. And yet, Putin clearly wasn't worried, nor is anybody else who wishes us harm. They're not worried about Biden. I mean, Biden's been like, you know, uh, Mr. Wimp. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. We'll continue your calls, everybody. After the break, Pete, thank you so much. I know you're a veteran. We love you. Thank you. The Rita Cosby Show. And the Department of Justice, as expected, saying they will be appealing this decision and they're begging the judge, Eileen Cannon, to issue a stay. In other words, let us keep looking at the documents and everything else that you took from Mar-a-Lago and let us continue our investigation because we want to go full steam ahead. Because guess what? I think the midterms are around the corner. What a surprise. Let's go to Gio in Boston, line one. Gio, your thoughts about all this? Well, I actually called when you were talking about, but I have thoughts on everything that's happened since uh, you uh, mentioned uh, Donald uh, classifying or declassifying documents. In 2007, when Bush was the president, the Congress set up uh, John Negroponte as the head of a new agency called Director of National Intelligence. And any decisions regarding information 
have to be under the signature, classify or declassify them, have to be under the signature of the DNI. The president does not, since 2007, the president does not classify or declassify documents. It's to the special master. But wait, wait, wait. Hang on one second. Are you saying the president cannot? Is that what you're contending? Yes. The Congress took the the power away from Bush because they didn't want Bush to have to appear in a Geneva court for crimes against humanity in Iraq. Okay, but hang on. Hang on a second. Hang on a second, Gio. Actually, quite the contrary. We are hearing other reports that George W. Bush, exactly the same Bush, um, and also, by the way, also Obama, uh, both uh, set in motion that the president could and could even just verbally do it. And that's what a number of people have said. Uh, and also we're hearing from Trump's team that he did indeed declassify. So um, there may be some reason in that particular case, but it seems to be not in dispute that the president can continue um, to declassify because that has no one has said, oh, he can't do it. He's not allowed to do it. Um, but maybe you're you're more steeped in the law than most of these other people out there. But that does not seem to be the case, even by judicial and constitutional experts. But, Gio, thank you. Let's go to Larry in Brooklyn. Larry, your thoughts. Well, first of all, I'll just say real quick that if uh, if, uh, you know, Stan says uh, that, that he should be indicted if there's enough evidence, it just shows you what a soulless monster he is. I mean, Trump could be living the life of Riley as a multimillionaire, a billionaire, and uh, he, he, he decides he wants to serve his country. And then you get animals like that. It's like, yeah, diet and what the hell. But, 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 but you know what's interesting, Larry? People like that just have – you can tell. Stan thinks Bi- it's like Biden good, orange man bad. You know, uh, and, and there are other people like Stan that feel the same way. Um, I believe in justice, and clearly you do too. Well, I'll say this much. I'm an attorney, and if Trump is indicted, I would I would defend him this way. He is the lawful president of the United States, and those documents belong with him. That's why they're with him. And that and, and let's let's see the DOJ litigate that. Then the whole issue of the election will be litigated in court finally, and maybe that's the strategy. Maybe that's why he held on to those documents. Okay? Now let's see let's see in light of that let's see in light of that defense how they backtrack the DOJ. Yeah, and you know and you know and you know what's interesting, Larry? There are also reports that he was holding on to documents that clearly exonerated him in like the Russia hoax and some of these other things. And that could be why they were so desperate to get those documents back for history. Because, boy, if that got out, if that's true, that wouldn't look pretty. We're going to continue talking about this tomorrow and also look at 9-11. The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.